Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Jim Gray. Hey, hey. Talking about Gray. Jim Gray. Jim Jell. Gray Slide. <laughs> words where it's like welcome to another episode of believe in skateboarding uh, i'm your host jim gray uh we always start out with a really stupid question and that's i'm jim gray who the hell are you yep and i'm jeremy ray jeremy ray that rhymes with gray right gray and gray here we yep. go so uh as most of my podcasts happen this was uh planned last week because we saw each other at the skate park uh, I really never schedule them. I probably should. I'm supposed to be obligated on this network to do one a week. I do one a month or two a week or one every six weeks. I'm pretty sporadic because uh, it's a lot more fun for me when it happens accidentally. So yeah. we ran to the skate park the other day and said, let's do a podcast after I just finished one with Eric Dressen, which people are pretty stoked on. So, Yep. Uh, I saw that one pop up. Yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. We had a trip to uh, Cleveland. We went together on and, and we bonded on a different level. Kind of like you and I, we know each other. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things I always think is kind of funny sometimes that everyone assumes that we know each other incredibly well. Right. right. But we know each other in like lots of years of passing and events and whatever. We're also, I think all skateboarders are just as much uh, like uh, voyeurs and fans as anything else. We watch the Instagrams. We see what people do. We know a lot about each other from stuff like that, but not necessarily from, you know, daily life. So right. that's it. So here we are. This is going to be our most in-depth conversation we've ever had. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk Jeremy Ray. Tell us, uh, start like, you know, where, where you live, where you grew up. Yeah, right now we're in Placentia, California, and uh, we've been at the same spot for about 23 years now, which is the longest we've ever lived anywhere in one place. Which is awesome. Place. I yeah. love to see you jumping off the roof in the pool. <laughs> right? <laughs> I see yeah. that. We notice those things. Yeah, yeah. We uh, sometimes put the little platform up there so you can skate off it, but oh. uh, we also have a jumping platform for our kids up there. So we had that. to we had to train them for uh, jumping off the jumping rock in Haleiwa. That's at, a forgotten uh, art, jump, yeah. jumping off stuff. I get so sad when I go to a pool and the diving board's gone. Yeah, we actually reinstalled the original diving board because they had uh, removed it when they sold the house, I think, and they had it back by the pool equipment. So we saw it. And, well, uh, I think it's like a liability. They won't put it in. Right. You know. And I think you can only still have one if it was there originally when you had it, like yeah. when you bought it. So we, yeah, so if we you ever sold the house, it. you'd have to take it out. That's, Possibly, but yeah. I figured, you know, for the kids being young, and I want them to learn how to jump off a diving board, so we just uh, dug a hole and uh, filled it up with cement, had the bolts hanging down, and now it's, okay, it's so, in. Okay, so well, we know you're a ripping skater and, and, and like to do crazy things on your skateboard, but, like, so let's talk about your diving skills. What uh, <laughs> What's your best dive? Let's see. Oh, I do, like, a front flip with a twist, I guess. You know, yeah, it's not super acrobatic, but uh, I could never do flip and a half because oh, so that's my favorite. I have an automatic half. kick out where my brain wants my feet to land first. I mean, I can dive and I can do gainers, I can do all that, 
but it all has to be landing feet first. So that's funny. So I can relate that to skateboarding. Mm -hmm. Okay, because it took me a hundred years. So I'm an old vert guy, right? right. So as everything kind of switches and there's more street courses and all that, I would ollie over pyramids and I mm -hmm. could never let my wheels land on the landing ramp. I had to put them on the top of the deck, oh, like yeah. an inch from the landing ramp, like put my landing gear down. There was something about safety. Right. It took me forever. Now I can, now, you know, in the right circumstances, I can do it and land on the deck. But for so long, yeah. my body would not let me float all the way across the pyramid and land on the bank on the other side. I always had to put landing gear down. So that's what you think about that. Your body's telling you like, I know nope, you're not going one more rotation. And I'm probably the exact opposite on the pyramids because I have to clear it or I don't want to land. Because if you check it just right and your wheels are on top, sometimes they'll give you that little tug, your board goes backwards and you go forward. Yeah, so I, guess I don't know, like that. I would say that you must ride different style because I don't think right. I'm ever leaning forward enough to right. fall forward. Right. So you must be leaning forward. Right. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I always just, I'd rather clear it by a foot than come up like two inches short. Yeah, so, so two I just inches go short faster. to me is just a click and then right. front wheels go down because I'm never right. leaning forward, so... That makes sense, though. I could see it like a soft landing gear to like tap it in. Yeah. It makes but on, sense. But on a diving board, I'll yeah. do a one and a half every time. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the feeling. Yeah. But I, I think... can't do a two. That's freaky to try to keep going. Yeah. Exactly. I, I just have a natural kick out, and I want to land feet first no matter what, except if I'm doing any kind of dive, like regular dive. It's classic. I like that. Well, I'm stoked for you that you have a diving board. That's bitching. Yeah, and the so, kids have been so, loving uh, it. So how old are you? 47 now 47 that's right yeah. when did you start skateboarding when i was eight years old about i mean i skated when i was seven on a borrowed board from my older brother jazz and it wasn't until i was eight i think on my eighth birthday i got my own board and where were you skating at in glendale california okay just around the neighborhood yeah it's really hilly around there so we would like actually all three of us brothers would go up the hill by a uh, spar park that we did together once we got our boards yeah. yeah yeah you know you see it in the the bones brigade yeah the, totally we, the did video we did together once we got our yeah. boards yeah yeah you know you see it in the the bones brigade yeah the, totally we the did video that. show yeah we'd try that <laughs> but uh as fun as that is that's still you know you're still connected to somebody yeah, else yeah, goofy. and if they mess up then you mess up and totally. you end up I've, falling I've, more I've, often that way yeah i've slammed catamaraning right. drifting into each other and right connecting wheels and stuff it's uh yeah, it's a lost art. <laughs> so then how did you, what what, uh, what kept luring you deeper into skateboarding? Uh, just meeting other people that were skating in the area, up in Glendale especially. Like there were friends that had uh, their first launch ramps built and stuff like that. They'd drag them down to the local school or somewhere in the neighborhood. And we'd always find out and go skate it with them. And just, you know, we were learning just how to roll off and early grab off them and stuff like that. While someone else, you know, in the neighborhood was doing backside 360 judos you know and and was this at this at this time are you still young 9 10 i would have been yeah i mean eight or nine at that point yeah i was now, still in elementary were you, school were you guys just learning from other people and watching or were you actually were you seeing magazines and stuff yet or were you we were learning from other people at first and then you meet some of the older skaters and one of them had a skate magazine a thrasher mag at his house and every time we'd go to his house before skating i would look through the magazine and eventually i looked through it enough where he just gave it to me like yeah you can have that one yeah, but yeah. the inspiration, I mean, this is the only thing I think I find is interesting. Sometimes skateboard magazines think they are what make people ride skateboards. Right. And I'm like, no. People uh -huh. ride skateboards because they find it from their friends and they get inspired. And then eventually when they get super into it, right. they start following skateboard magazines. Yeah, you definitely learn more from watching other people do it or even from videos than you do from magazines. Because you can only learn so much from the still image. But you can learn a lot about photography from the magazines which yeah. i thought was great different angles and things and how to capture it 
Uh, well, and there's still something to this day. I mean, uh, and, and ironically, we're sitting here with Cleo from uh, Coping Block Magazine, who's uh, yeah. our silent side guest here today I brought with me. And, and I love still magazines, still, still photography, just the visual of the coloring, the stuff you can't uh, mix. But yeah, you'll never see the exact way someone shifted from one side to another during a trick to get his balance uh right but uh but yeah but the magazine you can actually appreciate it more because you get to spend more time with it even if you get the same trick on a video it goes by and it kind of just is all spelled out for you whereas like the the photo in a magazine especially a still shot um, you get to just look at it and appreciate all the different stuff and you can spend some and the time only with thing it you're ever going to hang on your wall is a still photo Right. right and appreciate it and dig it. You know, I should I shouldn't even say that. Someday they're going to make like the the video screen in which you right. hang on the wall and all it does is just repeat a <laughs> sequence or whatever. Like that. But yep. I still know that's uh, probably not going to be the the primary way people see stuff. So. That's what they have in the background of the nine club. They got uh, Chris Roberts with the switch flip switch man oh, on really the stage and just funny. yeah, it's on loop, constant loop in the background. It's <laughs> a good one. I think uh, Mark Johnson gifted him that. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking Mark Johnson. You know, I mean, you know, I print stickers. I print stickers for you. And yeah. uh, uh, I print stickers for Mark Johnson. This guy kept calling Mark Johnson. I thought it was a different guy. He used to write right. Sadlands. Okay. Um, and they were, uh, f- for a while, it was called the Back 40 or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. and I, I kept wondering, you know, who, who it was. And then eventually I realized it was the Mark Johnson. It was rad. Right. I brought delivered some stickers to him. He's a super cool guy. Uh, I had never met him personally. There's a lot of guys, like I said, we know the names. We see the videos right. out there but you never meet him and uh he's a, he's an interesting guy very uh very yeah. very unique has his own vibe and i had the opposite thing with anthony pop Popolardo. Mm-hmm. like we know anthony Popolardo from skating like you know love park and all that stuff well there's another anthony Popolardo who does stuff with like interviews magazines and editorial stuff and, and he's the one that hit me up yeah, yeah so i commented something back to him we were having a conversation it's like oh i'm not that anthony Popolardo. I, I thought there wouldn't be more than one of those, you know? Well, That's I mean, pretty we, unique. I, mean, I like to think we try to treat everyone equally, yeah. but I know once my partner Tom uh, realized that that guy who's been sending art and doing that, Mark Johnson, is the Mark Johnson, he was right. like, it's just like, That's cool. <laughs> um, because, and what he appreciated about it is that he his attitude wasn't like, treat me special because I'm Mark Johnson. Right. It was just real simple and straightforward. Now, and I think that's when he appreciated that, like, you know, thinking, because somebody they could call in and act like they're. They're super cool. And what I found out some of the guys, I mean, literally, I, I print stickers for Cavalero for his stuff. I print stickers for Hasoy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and these guys are so easy to work with and, and so chill that it's really nice. Yeah. That's cool. So, but the, back, back to the video and the still thing. Um, yeah, you know, um, it's just, that's the new world. I mean, you, you grew up in the video generation. I mean, you, your, your career was mostly guided by video parts, right? Yeah, you know, I still trip out when I've heard a couple of pro skaters get asked like, "How long do you think your career will be?" I think I got five more parts in me. Yeah, thinking, right. What? They judge you by parts. Yeah, no, because I come from a competitive generation. You had right. to compete, you know. And it was like when you can't compete anymore, you get pushed out. And right. So then it became, you know, how many parts does he have left in him till his body's destroyed? Yeah. Well, <laughs> when we, you know, when I first turned pro, there was still contests were involved, and we'd go to Europe and do all those contests and things, but um. It ended up just being, there weren't that many photos popping up from the contest, and you might see the results, you might see your name in print, you know, somewhere in there, but I ended up skipping out one year and just focusing on skating around here, San Diego spots, whatever, and getting photos for the magazines, and even going so far as to shoot an interview, and that just did a lot more for me than going to Europe and having my name appear on a page, you know? (laughs) 
Really? Um, yeah. yeah, well, that makes sense. So, what do you think was uh, was like your defining moment as a pro skateboarder, like that elevated you uh, to the high level? Because I think you know, I mean, I consider you one of the definitely top guys in the history of skateboarding, just for your strength, your 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 ability to boost down big stuff or a boost across stuff. But I mean, where's your perception of what uh, what gave you the biggest in when it comes to that? I think there were different moments along the way like um even first getting on blockhead and having my first video part you know that was obviously a big deal for me and there's some tricks in there that either hadn't been done or hadn't been done at the the size that i was doing them so you know starting it with even the frontside 360 ollies i guess no one had really done them down larger sets so even my first ad with blockhead was uh doing a frontside 360 down a double set in san diego we call it the wendy's double set i think but after that it ended up being the Jeremy Ray double set. And then when Tom Penny switched frontside flipped it, it became the Tom Penny double set. You know? <laughs> all, it was all generational. So that's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. That's rad. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, we do have that in common. We both skated for Blockhead. Uh, mm-hmm. Blockhead to me, and the reason I skated for Blockhead, I was one of the early guys who I kind of helped Blockhead grow and connected with them. Uh, because I just, I liked the brand. I, yeah. I had seen them on tour in Arizona and I, I had been sponsored since I was like 13 years old. I really never bought skateboards from a young age. And mm. so I walked in skate shops. I looked at what's on the wall, but I didn't, I never was picking it based on like, I'm going to buy one of these, right? My, I was right. like sponsors giving me boards, but I remember being on a demo and I looked on a wall and I go, dude, let me see that board. It was a meaning of life blockhead board because it, it just stood out. It was so different and so creative. Did uh, it have the Ron uh, Cameron art on uh, it? I don't even know if Ron did the meaning of life or whether that was Dave, to be honest. I think it was Ron. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? The meaning of life is super detailed, all sorts of little uh, things on it. But uh, hmm. that, that's a really good question. See, I'm not, I, I'm a blockhead guy, but I'm not even that well-versed in, uh, in yeah. who did everything. But all I'm saying is it stood out. I remember yeah. asking the shop, who are these guys? Yeah. And they're like, oh, there's these little, you know, a couple skaters out of Sacramento. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. And then I remember seeing in a trade show six months later, just seeing out in the corner of ASR where they were hidden off in the corner where they put all the new guys I just saw a blockhead booth. I remember walking up and just introducing myself and saying, hey, you know, take what you guys are doing. It's the first stuff that caught my eye in a lot of years. Um, everything else seems like same old, same old stuff. And here was this funky new stuff. And then I met you know, Dave, and he was really nice. And, and literally, as I was walking away from the booth, he's like, well, you know, if you're ever between sponsors, you know, we, we could use getting connected to some you know, guys that have been around longer or whatever. And, and I remembered that. And like, I don't know, a year yeah. later, six months later, things with me ended up where I had kind of a free thing. And, I, and I, so I called him up and said, Hey, let, let's talk. And uh, that's when I got involved in Blockhead and helped get a wheels made for him and stuff like that. And yeah. uh, Omar was a little local neighborhood kid, you know, that I drove around everywhere and I got Omar on the team. And, you know, so that's when Blockhead started kind of going to another level as far as uh, having a full line of you know, wheels and all this stuff. And so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, to this day, I don't think there was really any more creative companies than Blockhead. Right, you know their products, the graphics, uh, the fact that they built shit, you know, right, crazy ramps and wacky stuff. I mean, uh, and it was all about fun. I think that's what I liked about it. Yeah, you could tell from their videos too, like their adventures and cheese video. That was one of the fun ones, and it was all in black and white. Yeah, and which was, was rare at all the time. About, they were all about fun. I liked yeah. that because you know that that that's what drew me to it. So yeah, we saw Splendid Eye Torture early on, and then uh, but Adventures and Cheese was the one that just was. Right up our alley. So that's what got us interested in Blockhead as kids. So how did you connect with Blockhead? It was through a Visalia skate camp. It was um, Dave Bergthold, the owner of Blockhead. It's his brother, Kevin Bergthold, was up there at skate camp. 
And uh, I don't know if he was one of the directors or even one of the camp counselors or something, but he was somehow involved. And uh, while we were up there skating and filming just with all the other, you know, campers, we um, kind of just, me and Jonas got noticed by the other visiting pros and um, even the counselors were kind of keeping an eye on us and seeing what we were up to. And then we entered the street contest and we got first and second in that. So um, I guess Shrugi was rolling through. So he got us on Thunder and Spitfire after skate camp. And then we figured out that we could give our sponsor me tape to someone to give to Kevin to give to Dave. So that made its way through all the channels and landed in a VCR down their way. Uh, I, it's funny. I watched a few of those, not yours, but like I watched, I watched mm-hmm. Rick Howard's sponsor yeah. me tape, you know, we were uh, very well produced. It was pretty, we were kind of, who is this kid? And yeah. like, it was just, it was edited all well and stuff. We're like, this is pretty impressive. And, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, the day of the sponsor me tapes, um, that's a, that's a long gone era for sure. Yeah, now you get kids who just write you a note on Instagram. Go, yeah. like, they send you like fifteen videos. Like, ah, right. I, like, I, you know, okay, I'm gonna watch all your videos. Uh, you know, yeah. and it's amazing how detached from reality some people are when they right. send you sponsorship tapes. I actually kind of feel bad. You know, I mean, like they don't really realize, like, yeah, you're, you're having fun skateboarding, but you're right. you're kind of average at best, and and uh, and you just think if you send out more, maybe you'll get a sponsor. I don't know. It's kind of it's right. kind of bizarre. Yeah, we can't blame them for trying though. No, you, know? you can't. You gotta, well, why wouldn't you? Yeah, but I've seen the same thing. Yeah, you get some videos sent in, and they're just like, "Yeah, I'd love to promote your company out here and all that stuff." But like, yeah, like you're saying, they're skating at skate parks, and the stuff is kind of subpar. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. All right, we're back. Um, I was, you know, I never added anything, so the pause yeah. is what we, we should probably just talk to your wife while That's while fine. she was here. I uh, <laughs> we, we use the only bathroom breaks. That time I'll hit pause. We come back and, and just play it. Yeah, <laughs> this is a one-man podcast. I don't have an editing staff. Um, so yeah, another good. We we just missed uh, talking to uh, Jeremy's lovely wife here. Um, mm-hmm. We uh, were. It's a good excuse. I came to Jeremy's house. We usually do mostly some office because his house is near a new skate park that just got redone. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. You've probably skated there since it was built. It's how long ago was Brea open? Like twenty years ago. It was quite a while ago. I don't even remember how long it was there, but um, I just remember we tried to go to all the meetings and turn in designs and try to just get it as good as possible because if it's going to be that close to where we live, we want something that we like to ride. And um, after going to all the meetings, submitting designs, they even came to a vote on which designs they liked best. And the one that we submitted, you know, was almost a unanimous winner. And then uh, instead of choosing us to help out with the designs for the city, they chose the company Perkis Rose, yeah, who had built the yeah. local parks. Landscape architects. Yeah, yeah, so they they didn't skate, but they had someone on staff who was a skateboarder, but uh, I guess just didn't care enough to get those designs right. Yeah, it's a tough one. I'm I'm a huge skate park critic. Uh, yeah, I, I mean Perkis Rose designed our Costa Mesa's park, which came out pretty good for the most part because they let us. I didn't realize they were still doing parks at that point, but yeah, they were the, I mean, they were the architects. I mean, but, uh, uh, you know, Marty, Marty Jimenez and I basically, you know, babysat that project, babysat that project and, and, uh, and tried to make sure the flow was right. And, and even during construction, we went there every single day and like would see them doing something. And like, if you ever go to the bowl at Costa Mesa, the little hip, it's three feet longer than it was designed. Cause when they had it all framed, welded in place, we looked at it and go too short, too short. You're going to run out of space. And it was tapering. So they cut it, and if you look, at, you'll see actually see about three feet back. You'll see weld marks, and they right. redid it and reformed it. So they they at that point they really 
had good faith in us and trust right. us. But California Skate Parks built the park. So okay. it was built really awesome. Uh, but Perkis Rose papered it and did all okay. that. And they were really nice people. I think their intentions were good. They were just, they were park designers. They yeah, designed they don't playgrounds and landscapes and, and skateboarding became this thing. So, uh, Yeah, I think that's why the original Brea Park came out you know, better than average because the de- the designs that we submitted got basically looked at and stolen without all yeah, the modified. The so they were a little better, but not quite all the way. There. Right. So we got closer to what we wanted because we had designs that we submitted that they had access to too, and they used some of the elements without understanding the dimensions. Because yeah, I, I tried I, well, to keep it aerial view without details, so they would need us to complete. And it. I don't know what the solution is on that. Let's let, like, like let's take the new Brea Park. They just mm-hmm. redid it, right? They, they right. They redid all the concrete. They built the bowl. Uh, the bowl is built, you know, it's, it's smooth, it's fast, um, but it's awkward. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, and it's like, and to me, it's just like, I don't know if someone was trying to make it hard, harder mm-hmm. to skate, or they just don't really understand the right distance between one pocket to another to have a right. natural flow, or they didn't want it to be a natural flow or whatever, you know what I mean? But yeah. um, it's weird. So as I don't want to be too critical because I do have fun. Right. And, and I'm stoked that it's there. It's way better than what was there. Yes. There's still a very strange awkwardness to it. And every time I'm in there, I'm like, I know I'm going to hurt myself at some point because <laughs> this this oddness of pumping right. here or there is going to is going to take me down. Um, but still compared to parks at other local skate parks and the public parks, it's one of the better ones. Yeah, it is. So, well, there's no doubt. That's why yeah. we keep going there. That's why right. you know we came here to do a podcast because we're close to the new brand skate park. Right. We're going to go take some runs when we're done. Yeah, and that one's definitely deeper and bigger than my comfort zone because anything when it starts getting overhead high for me it just you know it's not as comfortable and it gets a little more dangerous and since i'm not as comfortable with it i have to take my time learning it and just get get comfortable in there before i start trying anything i was a vert guy right so you think i would want nothing but big stuff and i mean i and i get a lot of flack from people about it because i i really look at a public skate park as what it is it's a public Mm -hmm. skate park the city is building a place for hopefully the whole community to go skateboarding, not right. just the five raddest guys in town, you yeah. know, um, not just beginners, not whatever, but but for everyone to go have a good time, and that's rarely thought through in a skate park. Right. Yeah, there's either no spot for beginners, or it's so advanced there's no spot for the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been like, yeah, if you if you can build two bowls, build a really gnarly one, mm-hmm. and then build one that everyone can ride. If you can only build one, build one that everyone can ride. Right. Make so it I get very baffled when places build really gnarly crazy shit and you yeah. can't skate it unless you're really gnarly and i've been skating for 50 freaking years almost every even gnarly thing i'll find a line in i'll find a way to skate it mm-hmm. but i'll also watch a whole bunch of people get broken off i'll right. watch a lot of people not having any fun because they're just scared the whole time and when you the level of pro skater that you've been in your life you know, can look at that and say, you know, it's bigger than my comfort level. Well, and I've been skating for 50 years. It's actually bigger than my comfort level, too. I wish it was eight feet tall, not right. nine. You know, it's like I wish it uh, the, the pockets were opened up a little wider so it was more natural in the way it flows and stuff like that. And so I do get very baffled at why skate park builders build stuff for, I say building it for the 5%, not the 95%. Right. And, um, you know, and I, and I don't know how. My fear is that as we get more and more thousands of skate parks built that, skateboarders keep building stuff for their fantasies right. not for the reality yeah know? because a reality of a public park what do you think it should have i think it shouldn't have like a beginner area an advanced area you know like a warm-up area almost wouldn't it be rather just a little area with a couple little banks and a flow thing that you could just cruise around it before you go out and have to drop into the main zone where you're crisscrossing with everybody and running into everybody yeah. um, and i would think that skateboarding the whole business and industry of it would have 
cared more about that right because they're the ones who lose if kids don't stay skateboarding right yeah. you know what i mean so uh and i think a lot of skate parks are designed to only uh, only invite the top top tier of skateboarding and chase everybody else away yeah and i've just noticed like at a lot of the parks there's things that could have been done better at almost everyone and mm-hmm. if you had thought about it ahead of time just even with the flow of parks like i mean the new one in whittier the mayberry park they built it as an x because they yeah, thought it looked good on paper and you know the design was like interesting yeah and but you're right it, when you pull creates, up to it it looks beautiful it creates collisions for sure and i told as soon as i saw that design because i saw that one on paper too before it got built i'm like why would you ever make an x you know that the traffic is going two different directions and there's one obstacle in the middle and it's one where you can actually go pretty fast yeah so why you're do you just, want people coming at each other you're creating collisions yeah and yeah. in in hindsight yeah they said no it'll be open enough and wide enough that people can get through but like you're just creating chaos that doesn't need to be there and if you had those two things running side by side then you have a no- more natural direction and flow completely agree completely agree I, I i definitely um i've seen designs for skate parks where there's two sets of rails that they may be four or five stairs or like that but they right. come down angling they're both landing toward at, each other, at, yeah. towards each other right like, are you like supposed to take turns and go hey you gonna go i'll wait till you're done or blah right. blah or uh i remember, I remember laguna hills park Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got that kind of pink concrete. Yeah. I remember the opening day I was there and there's this little like an L-shaped bowl, but there's some stairs that come down and land in the entryway to where everyone takes oh, off to man. drive in the bowl. Right. And I remember some lady walking by, she's like, oh, my husband was one of the designers. Said, what do you guys think? And I go, that's the first place someone's going to die because, yeah, yeah. you know, if some street kid wants to ollie down those stairs as someone's put a skateboard. Well, and you I know, actually, there's a... Like- like, what do you mean? Who won it? Oh, like the kids in the area that have never skated a skate park? Well, I, and I you know? actually... There's it was a like, problem. like what do you mean? Who won it? Oh, like the kids in the area that have never skated a skate park? Well, I, and you I know? actually... There's it was a like, problem. like, what do you mean? Who won it? Oh, like the kids in the area that have never skated a skate park? Well, I, and I you know? actually... There's it was a like, problem. like, what do you mean? Who won it? Oh, like the kids in the area that have never skated a skate park? Well, I, and I you know? actually... There's it was a like, I, what do you mean? Who won it? Oh, like the kids in the area that have never skated a skate park? Well, I, and I you know? actually... There's it was a like, I think it's... What do you mean? Who won it? Oh, like the kids in the area that have never skated a skate park? And I actually... There's a I think it's... What do you mean? Who won it? Oh, like the kids in the area that have never skated a skate park? And I actually... There's a I think it's a sad thing that I see people, they say, look, we invited all the kids. Right. The kids have no idea about design. Right. You know, I've been skateboarding since 1975 or something. I've ridden all the early skate parks, all the later stuff, the backyard stuff. Yeah. I can tell you the difference between where you're going to land when you go over a spine over some kid who's just going to like, I saw a spine once in a magazine. Right. You know, let's draw that. And the fact that they, they, they try to do these workshops to say that we, we involve the community. No, right. you show the community what you're going to build. You get input on it. You don't, right. you don't bring the kids into a room and say, you know nothing about how this is going to work. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what to do? Right. And that happens a lot. And a lot some escape art companies actually encourage that. Like they, right. they say that's how they get the job. We involve the community. We have right. workshops like, no bullshit. You build a golf course, you hire Arnold Palmer and guys that have <laughs> Jack Nicholas that have designed you know courses their whole life. And then you present it and people right. are like, yeah, this is awesome. There's a couple options. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of let the eight year old kid tell you what to, right. what to put in. Yeah, it's, it's strange. And then like sometimes just the shape of the lot should determine the design of the skate park, you know, because it'll have certain elements that only fit like a certain way that maximizes the use of the space. And they'll just cookie cutter things where they don't belong. And then, you know, you're going over a hip right into a flat bar, you yeah. know, yeah, or, or you're landing wall. off I've a rail into a, a ledge. Hip to Ollie and then like, 
but there's a wall three feet after you right. land. Right. It's know. dangerous. Uh, no, it is yeah. dangerous. I agree. Yeah. So I don't know. There should be more thought into that. And I don't know. The people that are in charge of getting those designs, you know, processed should actually Well, they certainly don't listen that. to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've talked about it too many times. Yeah. Um, I uh, uh, So let's talk about just skateboarding in general. What, like if you just right now you have nothing to do today. Today is your, like your skate day. Mm-hmm. Where would your first place you'd want to go? I know you can't always get there, but if you just had a dream, like where would you go skate? What's your What's your vibe? What's your favorite right. place to go our, our daily stuff really is just if uh you know i skate with pat Chinito a lot mm-hmm. and depending on his work schedule if he's off one day we'll go out to a one of the local parks and, and there's so many in the area so we'll just pick a park go out there break out the gopro and just film each other and get a couple clips and that's enough for the day and we do it while the kids are in school yeah so we got to be you know in and out and be done by two o'clock you know adulting yeah, so we, <laughs> we fit it in in, in the morning, yeah. And it, it's a great time to hit the, the local parks while the kids are in school because it's not as crowded. I agree. And it's usually not as hot in the morning. So I, And that's funny when yeah. you go back to design. I joke and I say a lot of skate park designers design for Wednesday at 10 a.m. when the kids are in school. Right. Because the parks work when there's only five people in them. Yeah, they yeah. don't work when the kids get out of school and you're out there after school. You're like, I, right. I'm sorry. Everybody runs into everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's like being at a contest practice. So, so what are some <laughs> of your favorite parks? around here that you guys go to uh we were hitting like peak park because it was one of the ones that was directly local for both of us and then we hit the stanton one and we when we get motivated to go further we'll go to harbor city okay or yeah. um el sereno there's I've never been um, to el sereno harbor city's pretty fun yeah and there's the ponderosa park and um schweitzer there's lots of little ones sprinkled in there that aren't the greatest but if you mix them in and just do a couple things when you get there and uh, just try to get something different so you're not ending up at the same park doing the same tricks. You know, mix it up as much as we can. I hear you on that. Yeah. All right. So, um, all right. So, you, you got your round of parks you like to go to uh, when kids are in school. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What, uh, and your go to, Pat Chinita? Uh, you've been yeah. skating with Pat for a long time. Yeah, since before he got on Plan B. And then uh, I guess. They knew he was in my zone, so they had me go skate with him a lot to get him on Plan B. And I gave him the thumbs up. You were the lure. You were the bait. Yeah, I was just the one in his area. They're like, go check yeah, out I this know, Pat Chinita kid, you yeah. know? And like, yeah, I'd skated with him. So we started skating together some more. And then his brother, Bilu, was actually filming at the time. So he would film me and Pat. He filmed a lot of our stuff for the Plan B parts. So it was handy having someone to skate with and someone to film. Then we made a good little crew. So it worked out good. Well, that's good. How many... How many like days in a week do you skate these days uh i'd say on a good week probably three yeah. you know because our my weekends got taken now from like the kids doing sports for sure because my son does basketball and soccer and my my daughter does soccer now too so yeah it's it's you know going to the games sometimes they'll have games on saturday and sunday uh, so it takes the whole really. weekend i had three so it was but we got a uh, our son jackson who's 11 now he's you know dropping three pointers which is crazy because i was never really that great at basketball yeah I think, you know, my 11 year old throwing three pointers. That's pretty yeah. impressive. He'll just, you know, get open on the wing. They'll pass it to him and he can shoot it up. First shot straight in the net. It's like, wow, that's pretty impressive, you know, but that's what he's into and that's what he likes. So it's rad to see it. And then, uh, you know, the very next day he has a soccer game and he made three goals. He got the hat trick where his team won five. He's to two. got some skills. Yeah. So he's got some family. So, so how, uh, how involved were your parents in skateboarding? Uh, enough to get me my first board, yeah. you know, and then my mom would drive us down all the way to Mike McGill's skate park because 
there was no skate parks yeah, up here that was a, that was a after was like pipeline a... closed because she would take us to pipeline sometimes too when it was still there in upland but uh yeah after that it was all the way down to san diego to mike mcgill's to skate the vert ramp skate all the mini ramps and the bowls so we learned a lot there so but you had to be you're pretty young in the pipeline days then like 15 yeah. 14 something i was definitely young still in elementary school maybe yeah. in middle school but it was a gnarly yeah, mostly place. Elementary i love that place but yeah i got one of the worst hippers of my life in the square combi bowl yeah, I, don't yeah. That. I got like i was carving just right underneath the tiles learning how to get to the top and the tiles just slipped out. I got to the top and it like threw my balance off. My board disappeared and I ended up all the way out to the flat, oh. straight to my left hip. And just like, yeah, the first thing to hit was my hip. And it took Ouch. all you of it. Like you didn't shatter your I, hip. Yeah, that I didn't even get big. a hand down or anything. I was like in the air, just flailing, you know, and boom. And I, I hit it so hard, I didn't know if I could get out of the bowl. And I, then, I understand that. Yeah. I, it's funny. I did like one of the last major injury I had was probably 10 plus years ago at, yeah. the, at the combi at Vans, the block. Right. And I hadn't done airs for years and I wanted to and I went from the square to the round and I do, I want to be over like a foot. I tried to force myself to oh, drift no. a little bit and I went to grab my board yeah. and I sprung away from the wall. Yeah. So I went like two feet out and I springed on and I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And I dropped straight to the flat There's bottom. There's nothing you could do. And yeah. yeah, and I folded over and I get, I didn't think I was going to be able to walk out of the bowl and I yeah. like Stadham and Kosoi and some of these guys like, ah, yeah, give him the finger, come get me and they like yeah. carried me out. But uh, but yeah, as a kid, the the square that was a monster. It was. It was way out of my my uh, skill level. But I was seeing everyone doing it, and I wanted to learn it. And I was, you know, working my way up. I never learned to grind on it or anything like that, or any rock and rolls. But we were just kick turning at tile and getting well, I, there. You know, it goes to where we would talk about skate park design. Why I feel, you know, guys like us are way more qualified. To, to try to help and assist people in getting mm -hmm. skate park designs right because we know the difference because when you were running that and I was you were trying to figure out and wrecking yourself mm -hmm. I was probably in my mid-20s just charging it right know? and I loved the original combi when I was in my 20s and had, right you know, it was steep it was deep but I was I was also in good shape and skated a lot and was on my game so, right. yeah so when you build this new pool at a park yeah the kid is who's 16 to 22 whatever like that kills it right. but then everybody else sucks at it right you know, um and as you do that for decades and decades, you start realizing, well, there's got to be some middle ground here where we don't only build things for the best kids, you right. know, because uh, we're not all going to be the best kid forever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, that up one. And how about the pipe? Would you like to pipe it up one? Yeah. yeah. We would uh, try to get in there and, you know, of course, get over vert. We try to see how, how high up you can go oh, yeah. and you'd see all the stickers up there. So we got that down, but it's, it's crazy coming through a full pipe at the bottom because there is no flat bottom, so you're instantly going back up. Yeah. So it's every once in a while, yeah, you come yeah. out and you get looped. Yeah, no, that, I've just... Yeah, we've had the board come around and chase you down, so you got to get out of its way, you know? Totally. And you're lucky if you don't spring away from the wall there, too. Yeah. That was, uh, you know... One Especially of when you're over to someone. Yeah, if you kick yeah. out, like you go on a ramp, and you're going too fast, and you go over the top, you just kick your feet out, and your right. feet are free. Right. Your feet don't get free in a full pipe. No. When you lean backwards, in fact, it pushes harder onto your feet, and you're like... You end up with your feet over your Yeah, it your compresses head. you, yeah. yeah. it compresses you. It's gnarly, yeah. I uh, Probably the biggest uh, picture of myself skateboarding that I ever had blown up is a picture mm -hmm. of me bailing at Baldy. Oh, no. Klaus Grabke was taking it, and I couldn't get my feet off. Right. And so you, you see my feet are up over my head, right. and I'm eyeballing the bottom, looking for how I'm going to survive. Were and you I able to flip over, or did you I, come? I, yeah. I just pulled my feet back on and landed on a flat bottom, right. but my entire foot was so bruised, coming bruised out the heel, out the toes, out the side, yeah. just from the landing. Um but yeah, but it was like, the funny thing is, if you look close, you see my eyes. I'm just like, I'm searching for survival. Yeah. You know, um, 
because it did push against my feet, and that's the scariest feeling on earth when you you know you're about to loop. But if anyone's ever seen that Brian Schaefer footage, I, I know, was there. Yeah, where you? I was. Oh, that I was right oh, there, oh, and oh. it was incredible the way he ragdolled through that. Yeah. And the first thing to hit was like his shoulder and his helmet. You know, oh. good thing he had a helmet though. He had a helmet on for that one, right? I don't even remember. I just remember the footage of how crazy it was the yeah. ragdolling, and and I, you know, feel bad. I, I super kudos for him to have the balls to try it i yeah. dreamed of because i was one of the guys that was really into pipe riding in right. the early upland days and i dreamed of looping a pipe right I mean? and I, it was I a still, one opportunity I still kind of dream of yeah. it you know what i mean like uh but i i know it's either like i think i'd either just charge it and go that was so rad and easy or i just like be done you know like just well i think the worst thing you can do is just not go fast enough to where you die out before you make it to the other is side. That true. I well, remember so I think faster is better. That old plastic ramp, the turning point ramp, the plexiglass ramp. Yeah. There was there was a full pipe. We used to loop that. Right. Slightly cheap at an angle. It, yeah. At a slight angle. Well, it's yeah. like the clamshells like, they make at the it parks is now. Like yeah. A full clamshell. Uh, yeah. But I've done where I've gone front side and like, uh oh, not enough speed, and you start drifting, and then I've slammed my shoulder in the other side. Like, right. So you made enough to like, oh shit, and you like landed, yeah. didn't didn't get hurt, but uh, yeah, concrete's a. Uh, a whole other level. Yeah, I, I had, I had considered trying it when we were at Tampa for that one when they had it out. But then I saw Schaefer get rocked. I saw Peter Hewitt. He missed the pad. Like oh. the pad was there. The, his like legs made it on the pad, but his head went right to the cement. Oh, so either. they had carted, I think, three people off in the ambulance that day. Yeah. That's instant concussions. They're out. And then Bob ended up doing it switch in the rain. <laughs> after all that's that a freak of nature I yeah because it was raining off and on and it got really slippery so everyone kind of stopped and then when it dried up a little bit he went back out and did it switch which was crazy oh that's so crazy but then well speaking it, of peter hewitt yeah i've never seen anybody skate a pipe better than peter hewitt at the new yeah. upland park out when they first opened it yeah i've never seen anybody so casually go 10 30 11 o'clock or just just drifting across yeah. the whole wall like, so, it was just the most amazing thing ever. It's burned in my brain. I watched a lot of the best pipe riding ever going back to the 70s and the yeah. 80s and Upland. And Peter Hewitt just blew my mind skating. Uh, yeah, he's been charging for decades. And just, yeah, just him on a frontside grind as far as he can go with his arms up. Like, no, his style he's, he's is so good. One of one of a kind. Yeah. So, super props to Peter Hewitt. Uh, I was going to ask you about the, the Baldy pipe. What did you think when Bob did the loop in there? That was insane. Because it's lumpy, it's bumpy, yeah. it's super it's rough stretchy, at the bottom. Like, so um, I I think there's just a technique. It's a well, and the thing there, the hardest thing would be worrying about just pumping across the bottom. Right. Because to let yourself, you have to pump really hard to do a full loop. Right. And if you get thrown off by that rough stuff on the bottom, right, you could pile pile that wall so easily, um, or ragdoll or whatever. And so yeah, um, it's such a speed change because you come from going really fast, then you hit that rough patch and it slows you down, kind of moves your weight forward. And then you're instantly on something smoother, and it jerks you back, and like it can get away. I think the one thing that impressed me, at least made me realize why I think doing the loop. Have you ever seen the, the picture of David Hackett doing the loop? You know, he did it I when he was so, 50, yeah. 50 plus years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it literally looks like he's doing a cartwheel. His legs are completely straight when he's at the top. Right. Uh, and his arms are completely out, super right. relaxed. And I think that made Wait the most sense because up, yeah. he just let it, he let his body rotate like a cartwheel. Because if you right. go and you compress as you go up, right. you're going to come down the other side. How do you uncompress right. without like, you're either going to stick yourself into the wall of the pipe right. or you're going to just go in some weird way. I, I also, I, I guess I've always worried about like, 
how do you change direction, especially when the, the way those things have gone, an entry and you come off the other side? Well, I was wondering from people that had tried it because the loop is only one direction. So is it easier front side or back side? Because if you're goofy or regular, you have no choice to ride the loop whatever direction it goes. Yeah. So I don't know which, which way is easier. Well, I, I think thought, backside I is easier. so many things. I would think starting starting backside, yeah. Right. But but I think technically when you hit the top, you start coming the other direction. You almost you need to be leaning the other direction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're... You have to corkscrews. Yeah, because of corkscrews. I think that's uh, what sent Peter Hewitt out the side because he like, came at an angle and it increased the angle when he went through the top. So he came out the side a little more than, than yeah. he wanted. I, get, I mean, honestly, I've got to admit, I've never been you know, uh, aware of or invited to or whatever. I hope one day if Tony pulls that thing out again, we'll at least hear about it. Right. I'd love to at least watch it more and see. Because uh, like I said, there's a little part of me that thinks... I've been I down the there when that one it. was going on. And I don't know who did it that day but i remember seeing footage of lizzie armanto doing it yeah. first yeah. girl to ever do that was it awesome and she but she knee slid at 12 o'clock that's gnarly which yeah like what and she made it through just fine and still was able to get it get it going but it was like like you said when you get compressed up there there's nowhere else to go from there and she didn't stop she was able to knee slide through and make it to the transition but that's yeah. not really i'd love to try it even with a pad if the pad if i felt safe with the pad but I yeah. don't know. I'm also the, the pad and... is a hit and miss thing because, like, I saw Tony Hawk do it for a Tarzan commercial, and they had the pad there, but he got launched off at like what would be maybe ten or eleven o'clock, and he went down to the transition on the other side, completely missed the pad, and got compressed like head and shoulder and everything, took the full brunt, yeah. but then then still had to do it because it was a commercial shoot. So no, had to get crazy. up and do it again. I watched the Tony Hawk documentary. It was like, yeah. Yeah, I just literally he made came it. out of it like, I'm, I am love Tony Hawk and respect him, but I'm yeah. God, I'm so glad I don't think that way, that I'd have that much in your head. We have to make stuff happen. You're committed. You're, um, I just like. Well, that one was a gnarly one because on that shoot, it was for the Tarzan movie on DVD, the Disney movie. Yeah. And uh, they had him doing the loop and the 900 on the same day. And that was just scheduled. Like, all right, at, at you know, 10 a.m. he does the loop. <laughs> and at 3 p.m. he's doing the 900. And they wanted him to do the 900 with a backpack on. Oh, and shit. I heard this in the storyboard yeah. part in the in the offices at the studio. Because I was doing his uh, street stunt double work. Yeah. He didn't want to mess with any of the street stuff. Like grinding a flat bar with fireworks coming off your board, whatever. He's like, I don't want to do that stuff. So Much if, safer for him to do yeah. 900. He's like, if you handle all the street, I got this stuff. Okay, so we did that. But I was in the meetings earlier, and they were telling me what was going to happen, how he's supposed to do the 900, and he's going to be wearing this backpack. And I was like, does he know he's supposed to be wearing a backpack? And they're like, no, why? Is that an issue? It's like, yes, because if you have a backpack on, it'll throw your weight off. You won't be able to spin as fast with all this extra gear. Like, no, that's not going to work. It's like, well... What can we do? I was like, well, if he's got to have this, because they needed a place for him to put his DVD. He's supposed to be leaving Blockbuster, putting the DVD in his backpack and oh, going. He's like, well, why don't you just have it put him in his back pocket, you know? So they switched the whole thing. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah. they had him put it in his back pocket. That's that way, funny. and they still had him do the 900 with like a sleeve of a DVD in his back pocket. <laughs> so you could see that it's actually there, which is hilarious. But so he did the 900 after slamming, doing the loop, and. Yeah, I, I don't know crazy. which was first, but he did them both the same day, and he did slam on the loop, but he got it done. And uh, I have some photos from that day. Pretty so, crazy. So big props. And, yeah. Uh, and so what? Like, what? What do you get paid for something like that? I, I don't know. I, I didn't get paid that much because I wasn't like. like a, was it a stunt rate, like, or something like that, or a? 
the thing was I had a SAG membership before, okay. but I hadn't done any work in a while, so it had run out. So they paid for my SAG dues to get it reinstated. And then, uh, yeah, there was all kinds of issues with the pay. Like yeah. they, they didn't clock me in and clock me out like they were supposed to. And they said, well, who's your agent? I don't have one. So then they're like, well, someone's not looking out for you. Here's what you got to do. And someone on the other side helped me out, get it all sorted well, out. Well, it's funny. Someone told me who does some motorcycle stunts for a team. They said, if you ever get a, if you ever get a, part doing stunt work mm-hmm. always fail four times because when you do it like after four attempts you get they have to pay you right like, over time or something like that hazard like pay like it, has, it increases the pay and i'm laughing yeah. because he goes oh yeah we do jumps for commercials we just always we we don't do it very good for the first three or four and then they have then they have to so it forces their pay up so it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's pretty funny like <laughs> i found myself on the set of a movie doing stunt double work. Um, there was a movie called Stick It. It was about like girls gymnastics. Funny. Okay. And the opening scene was people skating and riding BMX bikes at like a house that was under construction. Okay. So one of the scenes, and it was one of the first things I had to shoot, they had scaffolding up um, higher than the second story. And it's only like maybe two feet wide and it's the little planks. And then they wanted me to ride on that and ollie 90 degrees onto a ladder and grind the side of it and land on the roof of the first story and then ride off that into some boxes. What? So, yeah, <laughs> and it was at 6 in the morning. I would say that should come with so a hundred like, grand and a briefcase. Yeah, I was looking at it like, like, I don't know if this is possible, you know, and they had constructed the ladder out of a like a grindable bar, but it still had ladder rungs, and like if you get on it wrong, oh, dude, you might get a leg ankles, twisted in like, there. Yeah. So I was like, just for my own safety, can you just put clear plexiglass on that ladder section so you can't encase my yeah. foot so it but won't so go you through? So you still tried this? So yeah, they. I'm like, I'm gonna give them my best shot. Oh my god! So you know, they call action. I go and I get on, and sure enough, I get on because you got to ollie 90 degrees to get on it. It flips off, and my board shoots down, and I had to step right. On the plexi. the plexi. And sure enough, I saw where my footprint went and it went right on one of the rungs. I was definitely watching through the clear stuff and I stepped on one and the ladder snapped. It actually broke and they had to call it, um, re-weld it. Everyone's waiting until it's all done. Then when it was ready, I go back up there again and I had to get it. And uh, one of them, I ended up getting the ladder to my chest and then the next one I got it. And I got it and rode away and got it into the boxes and everything. That's insane. So it was it was a crazy shot. And I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But we're here. And that's my job right now to do this. So I'm going to try to make it happen for him. Uh-huh. And I think I got it on like the fourth, like you said, fourth fourth try. Something like that. Well, that's, that sounds insane, though. But, but it, it was. It, it like It's one of those things where I'm like, how did I end up here? You know, this is a strange spot. And I think the, the following week we were supposed to go on King of the Road for Thrasher and uh, when I rode for Element. So I was like, I don't want to get hurt doing this stuff and not be able to do King of the Road. Yeah. Because I always liked all those challenges and stuff. That's funny. That's a good subject. Just strange, strange encounters on a skateboard. That's what people don't realize. You're becoming a pro skateboarder, you know, yeah. um, it, it's not like buckets full of money are thrown at you. There's little opportunities that come, right? So you right. take them to like, hey, how do I make a couple dollars doing this? And, uh, yeah. and if you really think about that, that's like seriously like career-ending potential stuff it was, it for was next definitely to nothing, dangerous yeah right? it was definitely if they dangerous. wouldn't have done that you said i got balls i'll go for it and your leg goes through that yeah. ladder and you freaking oh there it goes snapped uh, right um that's pretty crazy well then the rest of that sequence you're supposed to go off the roof into a, a ladder like oh, into a slide like um like a pool slide 
ride down that, launch into the shallow end of a pool, and then go up the deep end and do like a 540. It's like, well, I got the street stuff. I can do the grinding thing. I can make it on that. But for that other part, I'm going to call someone else. So I called one of our buddies to come in and do the, the ramp stuff. Um, I, called, I called Jesse that. Fritch. Oh, there you so go. So he could do like the 540 part. And what I didn't know is they were going to have him slam a couple times too. So he had to <laughs> he had to ride up and have his board shoot straight up and basically like go feet up into the wall and slide back down. So they had him bail a couple times. So I was glad I didn't have to do that. But what we figured out after I called him is that he's regular foot and I'm goofy. So the way we fixed that is when I was going off the roof, I did a 180. So it makes him riding into the slide make sense because now he's switched. So, but luckily we thought of that because they didn't think of that. And it would have been one of those cuts in a movie where it doesn't make sense. Go, Wait, that guy was this way. that. So I'm like, we'll fix that this way. And we did the 180 and made it all. So the sequence plays out perfectly and it looks rad. I saw the final product and it was pretty funny. So we have to look some of this stuff up and and, yeah. and find some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's a good little sequence. And then uh, our buddy who called me up to do that job was Mike Escamilla. He does the BMX yeah. stuff. He was doing stunt double work, and he was actually playing the main character, who's a girl. So he had to, like, have his hood up and everything and do it. But he's actually stunt doubling for the girl in the movie. That's pretty funny. Yeah. See, I like this. This is good, telling crazy stories about what happened. Yeah, that's a wild one. Yeah. Um, and any other, have you ever done any other crazy, what's the craziest thing that ever happened like on tour? I don't know. I mean. That you can talk about. I mean, when we were in Japan, um, I'd never seen a dead body before. And we were on the road to Osaka in a tour van. And as we're, there's just a body laying on the road. There was no one around it. And as we were driving by it, it was laying like chest down. And as we're passing it, there's no head on it. And as further down the road, we see the helmet and the head is in the helmet. So, so you think they were a motorcyclist? Yeah, it was a, it was a motorcyclist who got run over by a semi truck because further up the road, the semi truck was parked off to the side and there was the driver of the semi just walking for who knows how many miles to well, whatever. Well, he probably tripped out when he realized yeah. he just cut someone's so head off. we saw the whole sequence of events and it must have just happened because there was nobody there. There were no cops there. There was no like, you know, sheet over the body or anything. And I just remember it being so silent in our tour van. Like, you know, because we witnessed well, it. Well, yeah, yeah. I have nightmares about that for that, nights on end. You the know? only things that were said was as we were driving by it, I was like, where's his head? And we were looking around and it was like, it's in his helmet. And then it was just quiet. Oh, my God. Now, there's a story. Yeah. Jeremy Ray's taking the podcast world into a new dark place. No, but that's yeah. interesting, though. That is amazing. I think, uh, um, God, so who knows what happened after that? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, and like, that was on a crazy. drawers tour, and I was with uh, Rob Deerdick, John Drake, and Jason Dill for that one. So it was just four of us out there. And uh, so one of the funny that? things so- from that tour was them announcing all of our names, because we all have American names, and like, some of the R's and L's get switched up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I was Jelly Lay. Yeah. And they'd be announcing us at the the demos, you know, Jelly Lay and Jason Deer and Ralba Bibic and John Drake. Like <laughs> they could Drake they works. could nail John Drake like nobody's business. And I was like, <laughs> What? Like how did he get a pass? Like his was perfect. And all of ours were just hilarious. But Ralba Bibic was hilarious. And they make but let's let's face it. Jason Dill's crushing it right now with fucking awesome and his brand. Yeah. Um, uh, Deer Dick obviously went on to become 
king of the world in his own little world. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and John Drake, I just haven't heard much from, so I imagine he's just a normal guy. Yeah, he's I, normal. He's, he's a normal, been, uh, living a normal life. So he's still been skating. I see some of his clips he puts up. So that's good. So yeah, he's got John a local Drake. park. Yeah, those guys, those guys, their their names were special. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to take from that. Yeah. Um, so, what do you want the world to know about Jeremy Ray? Uh, that I'm still here. I'm alive and yeah, doing it. Come on, that's pretty much that. it. You know, I know that. I that think, I, uh, I, I I think you're an amazing skateboarder. I think you have amazing strength and skills and. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, you know, mm-hmm. think the same thing. But uh, you know, what do you think? Something they might not know about you, like uh, there's a lot of things that people don't know about me because well, I don't the, share as much well, as uh, I, I do. Yeah. But uh, you know, as far as like the artwork that I did, most of my own graphics all the way through. Okay, and I, so, I honestly don't know that myself. So I'm yeah. So with Blockhead skateboards, I had the opportunity to have my first pro board. They asked me what I wanted, and I had just done a tribute to Dr. Seuss in my art class, in my high school art class. Dr. Seuss had passed away, so I drew all of his characters paying tribute to him in, you know, I tried to do it all in his style. So I even did, like, a portrait of Theodore Geisel in his character style. And um, when I was done, my mom knew someone who knew Mrs. Seuss. She, it was his wife. And they sent her the print of the the drawing and I got a really nice letter back about skateboarding and art and it was signed Mrs. Seuss on like how cool cat and hat stationery and stuff so that ended up being my first graphic for Blockhead we just took it down and copied it and uh changed the format to fit like a deck style more tall and skinny and um that ended up being my first pro board and I just liked Dr. Seuss and his style and cat and hat and obviously Jason Lee had had his that was cat and hat style. Were you a doodler your whole life? I mean, did you grow up doodling on your school? Yeah, I was. I was definitely drawing and doing artwork before I was skateboarding, and so you know, from the time I could hold a crayon, and you know, my mom had art supplies around the house, so I was just photos of me painting from really young. So you it, it paint and illustrate, or I mean, what's your what's your what's your well, art range? I. When it came time to take art classes, I mean, I, I loved taking art in high school, and we tried all kinds of different mediums and stuff, but after high school, I got to go to Fullerton College, and I took all the drawing classes, so there was, like, expressive drawing, and um, there was drawing one, two, and three, then I took the painting classes, I did painting one, two, and three, then um, I even did the printmaking class, where you do, like, linoleum cuts and glass prints and, like etchings and all that stuff so i learned all that then um took figure drawing and life drawing and then uh even took photography over there black and white and color slide then they pushed me over to the the sculpture side to do 3d art they saw in my in my drawings that i had an understanding of depth of yeah of depth and just could capture it on a two-dimensional surface so they're like let's see what you can do with 3d so they pushed me over to the sculpture side so the first project i ever did in the beginning sculpture class they give you a lump of clay and they say do a self-portrait life-size of your head in clay and that's like a daunting task for anybody even if you're a really experienced sculptor so they said the reason they do that they want to see what level you're at to see what they can do and how they can push you further. So that was my first project there. And uh, I have it still sitting over there if you want to see it. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll show you I'll after. Take a picture of it before yeah. I leave. 
So that was the first sculpture project. Then after that, um, I was able to take the bronze class, and it's a bronze sculpture class. So what for that one? Yeah, you're carving stuff out of wax, and then once you get it the way you want, you can um, turn it into bronze by putting it in a plaster cylinder, basically, and you fill up the plaster all around it. You melt it out in the kiln and fill it up with the liquid bronze. It cools, break it away, and you get your piece. Now, if you want to do more than one of something, you have to make a mold of it first so you don't lose the original. So, and I did that for years. So, even like, I see the, I was inspired by the little um, skater of the year trophy. Uh-huh. The guy just standing there. So, yeah. I did a bunch of like skate inspired sculptures too. And you cast them. Yeah, and I cast like them. Now, where, where does someone even go to do that? Uh, they had the facility on campus to do it, which is cool that they had it at Fullerton because they didn't have it at Cal State. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't have a sculpture program that had that. So you needed the foundry, you need the kiln, you need all the equipment that goes yeah, with I mean, it. How, how hot and you have to melt copper. Like, yeah, it's pretty hot for the bronze. Red, yeah. you, I mean, so you yeah. just, you're all so I, I even Yeah, I helped out with like the silver suit and the gloves and the, you know, the whatever, the welding helmet looking thing. And uh, we were, I've been on the part where I'm part of the pour, where we're all, Dipping you know, it, yeah, pouring, pouring it in each, what they, they line them all up and you go around and you just have it on a, a crane system and you just lean that crucible oh, okay. and try Dip to fill it, it another, and you yeah. try to stop as soon as you can so it doesn't overflow and you got to watch it because if that stuff falls or runs, you got to watch out because it's like lava. Like, yeah. yeah, splatters will get yeah. you and all yeah. that stuff. So you're oh, pretty protected, but you're still in your regular shoes. They, so try like do you fill the mold like almost to the top so it doesn't overflow then you have to grind it afterwards or something like how do you level it so it's not well, wobbly or you have like a feed leading into it so it's basically like a reverse funnel kind of thing when when you are done with it you cut all the extra parts okay. off because right. you have a funnel that leads the stuff in and then you have breathing tubes that come out so it has a way to get the air out kind of like making skateboard trucks they're yeah, all linked so, together right you know, through the yeah it's the same kind of deal so yeah, it was interesting to learn the process. And then, uh, yeah, you have a lot of grinding work when you're done, just cutting all the extra pieces off and getting back down to the piece that you wanted. So what's the last time you did something like that? Uh, well, they let me take the class. You're only supposed to take it three times. Yeah. I think I took it nine times because they kept – there's other classes that use the same um, building. So they were like, well, now you just sign up for that and you can still do bronze with us. So I just took it as much as I could. But it's been years now. Yeah. But – uh. Yeah, because I don't have access to a foundry, but I think if you still have the wax and you carve your own piece, you can bring it to a foundry and have it done for you. Yeah, that makes but sense. I just haven't looked into it. Yeah, it was so just something. How many it pieces do you think you've done? Uh, under fifty, okay. but more than twenty. Well, do, doing one's big. Yeah. I mean, having one, you could say I made this bronze piece. Right, that. that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I I made a bunch of stuff, and uh, one of the funny things is uh, I had a graphic for Element. That was the guy just sitting on a couch and he had his coffee table and his TV and his dog and it's a whole scene. And I did that and it said life without skateboarding on the on the skateboard graphic. Well, then I made the the 3D bronze version of that whole scene. And that's it's in the bathroom above the toilet. Well, it's all set we're up getting a tour before. So, we leave. I want to see that stuff. Yeah. Of, that, of the ones that you did, did you keep most of them or have you sold any of them? Um, I kept almost all of them so yeah. far because uh with all the grinding work that goes into it to polish them and finish them, I just kept making more and more and more stuff without doing all the finishing work because I never had to sell it, you know? I never made anything, even with all the arts, paintings and drawings, I never made anything with the intention to sell it. 
other than just board graphics and things like that. Yeah. A lot of it I just do for myself, just for well, fun. Well, ultimately, it's what makes it more pure. Right. You make something for your own enjoyment. I mean, I, right. I, I love taking photos. I take a lot of photos. People say, you're a great photographer. You could probably be... I go, no, but once I had to do it, like, because I was doing it because I had to, right. it's no longer fun. If I just walk out, something frames bitching. I love the lighting. Right. I love a texture of a building or something like that. I take a right. picture. It just makes me feel good. Right. But this, if I had the thought, like, no, I had to go out there and find that so that I right. got paid for it. Like, I don't think I'd be stoked on it anymore. Yeah, it definitely changes the what you would even put out. Because you, then you're thinking, like, what sells, you know? And it's not about, like, what you see and what you like unless you find your niche there and everyone likes it too. And that's know? something people probably don't realize that that's a little bit of a downside of being a pro skateboarder, mm -hmm. right? Is because we all skate, right, started riding skateboards because we liked riding skateboards, like the feeling of them. Right. And then when there's this opportunity to get paid, to have models, to get ads, to all that, it's awesome. But there are certain points where like, you got to go do a demo. And you're right. not in the mood. You're not, in the, <laughs> you're not, you don't, you're not feeling it. So on. So it's not your best day. You didn't wake right. up happy that day or like that. And right. but now it's an obligation to put on a show and right. it, it does change it sometimes. I mean, so it's right. the most fun session ever is the one where there's zero connection to it being a business. Right. Yeah. Demos are a funny thing because uh, you're going to do it regardless. And if you're having an off day, it's in front of a crowd and there's nothing you can do about it. No, you can either oh. like, you just got to, Find something that works and try to do that. And then maybe it'll turn your day around. But if you get stuck and you can't make something Absolutely. and you're trying it over and well, over, and, and it makes for a bad day. My generation, I was in one of the very first skateboard videos ever made. It was a GNS team video. Yeah. It was filmed in one day. Yeah. And I had brand new shoes that day. <sighs> and I felt like I had two by fours on my feet. Right. And if I watch the video to this day, see like a, yeah, look how like stiff I looked yeah. doing that back there. Really, because I was like, I felt like I was landing with two by fours on my board. And that was back in the day when you didn't film. 30 days to edit your best part it was like and no was it what you get today yeah. is uh is what's going in there was it new shoes old board uh probably yeah so that's probably yeah. the worst combination i can think of in skateboarding because like new shoes new board everything kind of works because you're breaking it in at the same time but new shoes old board it doesn't have, it, feel it like just what you does not work like. yeah. yeah you expected it to feel like it already felt and it right. doesn't and uh and I don't know why we rode for Nike back then. It was a whole different era. They yeah. sent they sent a box for the whole team, like right. put twenty pairs of shoes in it, and you get one every couple of months. We'd usually wear them for two months because back then they didn't make skate shoes that flexed right out there. I have some Nike right. right now that I could wear these the day. Well, they used to have the on. cardboard layer yeah. that was super stiff. Oh, in there. it was so yeah. bad. And so yeah, I was just in these stiff leather blazers that uh, I probably should have kept. I'd sell them for ten thousand dollars today, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right. I still, I think I store all my old sticker collection is still in a Nike shoe box from right. like 19, 1980 or something. So that's funny. I know I, I ended up with a lot of stuff from back in the days because I'm not a skateboard collector and I don't go out and look for stuff that I think has value to, to hold on to, oh, I agree. but I ended up with a lot of stuff, well, you know, so me too. I, I, just, yeah. I made a lot of skateboards for a lot of people. Right. So samples here and there. Right. Um, I, I printed a lot of random things, posters, things like that, you know, like, uh, and skateboards, you yeah. know, I rode for like Blockhead. I would get, you know, a Mark Bartain, a, an Omar, or whatever, and just right. the collections build. And yeah. uh, then you look back and you go, yeah, people like this stuff. And, yeah. and like, I look at, you know, like so the Tony Hawk documentary came out, half the like c contests that were they were in there. I was in mm -hmm. all those contests and I opened my t shirts and like, oh, I have right. you still 50, have 50 of these no made for this contest. Like, so yeah. yeah, I'm actually going through some of that stuff now trying to, you know, um, you know. There were ones where you made the shirt for uh, the contest, uh, so you had like... No, I didn't make oh, okay. them, but like the ones I was in the contest, the NSA right. contest here or there, yeah, yeah. you know, Chicago Blowout, where I right. they were made for the competitors, you know, right. like, and, and it was just, uh, and I have I have all that stuff, so yeah, I became an accidental hoarder as right. well, if, uh, skateboarding turns into skate hoarding. 
yeah uh, when a lot of stuff is well and it's tough because as you you know grow up maybe get a wife or have kids and there's other people and their stuff that you have to do something with your stuff either get rid of it or throw it away and there's so much stuff i have that i can't just throw away it's It's worth something to me but it's also worth something to other people and it's not trash so i have to figure out what to do with it so i've been trying to like Get rid of stuff when I can. Make sure it lands in the right spots, you know? Well, definitely do it. Because if you give it away or get rid of it for nothing, you'll regret it. Right. And then if you hoard it for the sake of, like, a fantasy that's going to become worth more it is, then it's going to waste time. No, and I don't need any of it, you know? I'm at the point now where it's like, I just need to make space for the kids and their stuff. And, like, you know, it's not on display at my house. Well, I didn't have stuff on display in my house most of my years. Probably the last, you know, uh, I got divorced about four years ago. Before that, I mean... Yeah, Maybe the ten years before that, I actually had some skateboards in my. Mm-hmm. Well, I've never, never had that my whole life, you know. But but I have. I've always had an office. I've always had right. buildings with space. And I used to, you know, you know. In fact, yeah. I have too much stuff because it like at Acme. At this point, I think I had twenty six people in the office. I had right. that many offices, conference rooms, and this yeah. and So I have all the boards, and we used to take like we did slick bottom boards. We'd make a flat mount version of each one of them. Uh-huh. We'd laminate like an eight ply board with like a slick on it, and so I have all these square pieces. I probably oh, have cool. like eighty of those. Which yeah. are art displays right. of that just stuck in boxes, and you know, I have I probably need a ten thousand square foot building just for the random pieces that were around the office as I you know shrunk and downsized, yeah. and you know you just kept what you could. So, but, do you uh, have like stuff in storage then at that I, point? I, I just I yeah, I mean not in storage facilities, but like right. in my building, like I have right. just you oh know, you have room for it still yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'm starting to go through it because I, I want to keep or display the well like for instance behind where i sit at my desk there's like 32 boards on a wall which is like yeah. this massive display yeah but i like like i could do like 30 of those walls from like i could do a blockhead yeah. wall an acme wall a formula one wall a you know brands i've done or alien workshop wall i did stuff for them and yeah. um you know it's it's kind of daunting at times but again yeah. you don't want to get rid of it right you know, but you uh, also don't want to to die with it and yeah, have no, to no. hand it down to no, anybody no, because at that point yeah. They don't know what to do with it either, you know? So I don't want to burden anyone else with my skate stuff, you know? So skate hoarding can be a problem. Yeah. Accidental skate hoarding. Yeah. yeah. And well, it, just it is accidental because you acquired over a long, long period of time, you know? Yeah. Uh, I got sponsored when I was like 13 or 14. I'll be 60 this year. Yeah. So that's like, you know, 46 years of just stuff. Yeah. Little bits here and there. So and did you sure get... we certainly got rid of a lot of stuff along the way, right? Gave it away, but I, almost every board from the late seventies to today, I just took the deck off and slid in a, like a box. So I have like yeah. three hundred boards I rode. We always had friends around that needed stuff, so we'd always just kick it down to them. So well, like, I was lucky the shoes, clothing, and boards all went to friends who needed it at the time. So we didn't keep any of the yeah, for old some boards. reason. I always knew I wanted to keep my decks, and right? Because I, I, I and I again being sponsored, I was always able. To, I could give someone a deck if they really needed one, but I never. Right. I never Literally gave my used ones away. I have all the boards I've ridden. Yeah. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah, that's good. You and Svitek. He's got all those. <laughs> well, I remember when he did that thing around the block. Like he, yeah. You wrote well, he saved block. every yeah, single board. Like he numbered them or something right. like that. You know, well, at like some that. point, yeah, he's like, oh, this is getting up there. I got to Well, get this I have to order. find a way to do something with them too. But what I right. do want to do is take them down once a whole pallet full. And I want to like at least lay them out in the parking lot and shoot yeah. like a high resolution photo. Because right. you'd rather just have a photo on your wall of the 300 boards just like right. in a big thing before you start piecing them out True. There, because i i really do need to start getting them out. <laughs> yeah i mean it's better to start sooner than later because you know you'll come to a point where what am i going to do with well, all i am working on mike falmer yeah. you know the old pro skater the old sims writer from yeah. the 70s like that you know floridian you know he's yeah. a hall of famer this year actually um yeah he uh, um he he sells vintage goods so he's helping yeah. me like with a lot of t-shirts and stuff like that and yeah i have to work my way through that because you know i was not gonna do me any good 
Totally. All right. Well, we could talk all day long. Anyway, I would talk all day long, but uh, I just wanted people to get a taste of Jeremy Ray. And we might have to do another podcast. I don't think we really touched on much of anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jeremy Ray's an artist beyond what we know. Uh, I'm going to make him give me a tour before I leave his house right yeah. now and see some of his uh, his sculpture works. Yep. And some and, of the photography. Uh, and, and then, then we're uh, going to go skateboarding right now because that's... Yeah. That's the reason we're here talking in the first place, is we're fools that still like riding our skateboard. Well, and with the, the new GoPro I got, I've been filming everyone, too, so we'll try to get some footage of everybody. Woo-hoo! Yep, get some clips. All right, well, I appreciate you taking the time to, to do the show, and uh, hope, uh, hope you know, we have some fun when we go skate. All right, let's go skate. You All should, right. too. Show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.